chanting a song of glory. Aaron Thompson and Josh Karam swing their axes in a wide swath to cut through the ranks of orcs arrayed against them, shouting praise to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast with every foe's fall. Everyone and welcome to the domain of the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Josh and Aaron here, and I am really excited because we're doing appreciation podcast for the class that didn't win in the bracket. The cleric is what we're starting off with. You are so so welcome. Yeah, we want to do a couple features for some classes we feel like just didn't get enough love the first time around. So naturally, the cleric deserves its time in the sun. Thank you. That's a very light cleric thing of you to say. Ah, thank you. But we're also taking some time today to talk about religion in your tabletop role-playing games and the various roles that deities can play in campaigns. Yeah, and just like which deities you choose to pull from. Because, of course, the player's handbook gives you such an array of different uh, mm-hmm. pantheons to pick from, whether it's theirs or like literally you could have a Greek god campaign and theros too introduces its own pantheon so yes there's a lot of different choice here <laughs> so but let's start with the cleric josh my love i'm so happy i i, I don't need to talk about it anymore after this i i will feel satisfied <laughs> then you'll be done cleric, you'll be satisfied the cleric lost its holy battle and that's okay because we're going to appreciate it today the first thing that i want to say is the support of the cleric When it came down to the original Dungeons & Dragons, this really was the only healer. This was the only support, right? You had the wizard, the fighter, the rogue, and this. So you would be like, I don't want to play the healer. Well, I don't want to play the healer. So you'd push it on to your friend who wouldn't get a choice and be like, yeah, you want to play D&D with us? Great, you're the cleric. All right, cool. Okay, bye. But the cleric is so much cooler than it's always led on to be with like, I guess I have to play the healer class. The amount that a cleric can do is just amazing. The heals are amazing, don't get me wrong. Like, the the cure wounds, the, the amount of healing it could do rivals the druid class. I would say supersedes it even, if, if, if from my personal opinion. <laughs> For you, if that's you saying it, yeah. We're not going to get into it. The druid has no place here today. It's more even. It depends on the subclass you pick for a druid right. and a cleric uh, for healing. Because you could have more healing blaze clerics. You have your life clerics and such. But also, the damage output on the cleric, as we said before, is great. You got war clerics, tempest clerics, even light clerics. It's kind of crazy to think that a class that people are like oh, it's just the holy class and it comes around and heals people, could deal massive damage with huge, like, storms that they cast. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's awesome. Uh, I totally agree. It's it's a lot more diverse of a class than people give it credit for. Although you usually do fall into the whole, like, I'm a religious person sort of, you know, slot. But you still, there's so many different ways to go about that. And I'm always a big fan of... Um, Paladins can do this too. It's something I think they talk about it in Tasha's. I'm not sure. Where it's like you don't actually need to have a specific deity, you know, to be in one of these domains. Like it not doesn't have to be specifically worship, like prayerfully, right? Like you can just be like sworn to the ideas of something. Like your conviction to the concepts of of justice or something. I think also it's a very cool point where you don't necessarily have to be lawful with that. Uh, you you are one person, indeed, who has 
delved into this. You you have played a trickery cleric. Speaking of slots, our <laughs> yes. friend Victor Slots. The Victor Slots. Which Victor Slots uh, worship the the god of fortune in mm-hmm. the campaign we played, or the sorry the goddess of fortune. Yeah. And you you were never really a devout religious character, even when you had the powers of a cleric. Right. You were still a very tricky, charming person, but you still respected the ideals of the goddess and the goddess saw that in you so it means like you don't have to play this class as i must do what's right what does my god say i must do Mm -hmm. although i think a big part of victor's character arc was also understanding like the role that he played in the religion that he was a part of like what part did he play in relation to tamora and sort of understanding how he even though he wasn't super in German, the word is Glaubhaft, which just means, like, having belief. Yeah, I don't think he was never a super religious person. Part of his character arc was, like, coming to understand how religion played a part in his life, even if he wasn't super devout. Also, trickery clerics, I think, are such a unique subclass of cleric. They ride the line between, oh, I'm a light cleric that gets, you know, or a knowledge cleric that gets a bonus to my spells, and, you know, I don't get armor proficiency. Versus, like, the war cleric, the forge cleric, you know, that's like, I get heavy armor proficiency and swing a really big weapon and do lots of attacks. The trickery cleric is sort of really in the middle. It's a much more like if a cleric was a rogue. It breaks the the uh, idea that clerics can only use blunt weapons. Mm-hmm. you the cleric with the mace. That's always Or the, the... warhammer. It's just yeah. that's all you see a cleric with. But clerics always have shields. That's just, like, a fact. Yeah, and you get Warcaster inevitably because the amount of spells that you can cast... Uh, and we've talked about... I've talked about at least my favorites, Guiding Bolt and Spiritual Weapon that you get so early on. Just being able to cast those, have them on the field, the amount of damage you can do, it's just crazy. So you want that Warcaster when you're playing a cleric so you could have your sword and shield up so you're still a tanky boy. Mm-hmm. Gotta be able to take those hits. And heal them. Heal them, too. Well, because Victor was still a tank anyway, because I had medium armor master and a shield. So I think my AC was still 19 by the end of it. I was about to say, Victor, yeah, Victor definitely was able to defend and take the hits. It's it's really cool because you just moved around so well. Mm-hmm. Like, you moved like Thank a rogue. Oh, I miss him. I miss him so much. When's he coming back? No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Past characters. We're just going to have to wait and find out. I know. Uh, a couple things that I wanted to bring up, too, is just channel affinity is very cool. There's utility used to it. Um, depending on the subclass you pick, you can gain extra things to help you heal, deal damage. The Tempest Cleric channel divinity is insane. Getting to yeah. just, like, say, I roll max damage. Like, yes. that's super cool. And you can decide that afterwards. So, like, you can do that once you know that your all your enemies failed their deck save for Lightning Bolt. Then you can be like, cool, it does, you know, like, 54 damage. It's quite amazing that the player's handbook was able to give us so many great cleric subclasses. Like, it's more than your classic three. Life, war, tempest, trickery, light. Like, they're all super awesome nature also is a pretty cool one if you want a little bit of druid flavor for being a cleric you gotta you gotta sprinkle the druid into every class gotta sprinkle the druid into everything yes because people could like nature you know that's that's just Mm -hmm. something they can have with every class like (laughs) yeah it's funny though because my thought is like if you're someone who's religiously devoted to nature that just sounds like you're a druid to me i don't know why you Hmm. would play a cleric i guess it's like you want some of the nature spells you still want heavy armor proficiency 
you don't want a wild shape. Like, I'm trying to put it all together. You know, I'm intrigued by that because, yeah, it is that thing where it's like, I'm cool with wearing metal. It's like being environmentally friendly, you know, but still, but like still every once in a while you get like a plastic water bottle. Let me, <laughs> Let me try reading this. Let me see if this gives us any answers. Druids revere nature as a whole and might serve one of these deities practicing mysterious rites and reciting all but forgotten prayers in their own secret tongues. But many of these gods have clerics as well, champions who take a more active role in advancing the interests of a particular nature god. It is a more religious druid. Right, and it's the specific focus of, like, when you're a nature cleric, like, maybe you're specifically devoted to like the goddess of the forest, right? Yeah. Or of, you know, like the woods. Nope, the woods is the same as forest. Or like, you know, the, like the plains, whatever. Some kind of biome or like the goddess of animals. Yeah. Versus like druids would be like, nature, that's some cool shit. I'm here with all of it. I'm just thinking of like, there's the goddess of the forest and then like her step sister or something like that is like- The goddess of the woods. I just have a small plot of land. But yeah, it's my like, sister said I could rule it. Or little yeah, trees, exactly. right? Yeah. <laughs> the cleric's devotion to an entity mm-hmm. rather than being one. It's a very one versus all mentality mm-hmm. when it comes to cleric versus druid. Yeah. I also do have a friend that plays a nature cleric in my Eberron campaign. Oh, really? And she, I think she went into nature cleric because she usually plays a druid and she decided to like take <laughs> one step away but not too far away. Give me that armor, please. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, I guess we could also mention Destroy Undead. Really cool. I mean, it's it really only comes into play if you're dealing with, like, darker campaigns because you deal with more undead creatures. Mm-hmm. And also, at that point, the undead have to be of, like, a lower challenge rating. It's a matter of, like, are you fighting a horde of zombies, you know? Because then all of a sudden, your level 10 cleric can be like... Peace, peace, bitches, and they all disappear. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you get to level 17, the CR for Destroying Dead becomes a CR of 4. So if Which you're dealing huge. in, like, a very strawed campaign, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things you could turn away at that point. Mm-hmm. You built a cleric for your strawed campaign. Grave cleric all the way. Mm-hmm. It was a very fun time. to do. Well, actually, it was sad because Strahd's <laughs> a very sad it campaign. It was sad. But it was a fun character. Yeah. It's just a sad campaign. That's all. It, like, constantly it. you're just like, oh, this is to. depressing. I'm already depressed in the Abyss. I don't need to be depressed in another D&D game. It's so much more depressing in Strahd. Like, oh, it's, no. I, because I feel as though, like, the Abyss, there's still this sense of, like, I know that you're stuck in the Abyss and you're trying to get out, but you feel free. Mm-hmm. Strahd, you're always being watched. Oh. Even if you're in, like, an opening, like, you still have those eyes on you. You really can't mm-hmm. break out of the cycle at all, and that's just right. like... Yeah, that's sad. Feels a little futile. It's horror versus thriller between those two campaigns. For sure. The God of the Abyss is a thriller, and Strahd is a horror, so that I guess that's part of it, too. There's scary children in Strahd, too, so just, Ooh, you know... Eh. I, I know you with that, so be careful. Yeah. I did have a friend that listened to our Candlekeep episode, and was like, how did you not kill the child within the first 10 minutes? Like, I totally would have. And I was Your like, staff was ready. I was ready. The staff was raised. But can you imagine <laughs> what a different life it would be? Like, the episode would take such a turn if, like, Jin kills Galeby. And then yeah. what we have to deal with Ebder. They really don't have hit points in for the child because they don't think people are going to attack the child. But 
honestly, when it comes to spooky campaigns and there's a spooky kid, there's a lot of people who are like, nope, not mm-hmm. dealing with that. I'm not shocked that it. they didn't have that in there. Kill the child. Anywho. Kill, kill the child. You know who would never kill the child? That is Claire. not the holy thing to do, Aaron. Yes. Because divine intervention is probably one of the greatest feats we could talk about with the cleric, which is basically, I mean, it's basically wish yeah. for a cleric with a much uh, less likelihood of succeeding. Because it can be just as, not maybe not just as world-changing, it could definitely bring someone back from the dead the same way Wish does. Yeah, it has a chance to not work, and I think that's cool. And that's, you know, it's cool because then the implications of, like, your connection to your god is mm-hmm. a question. And that's a really cool thing to roleplay, too. Like, clerics that do question their faith, you know, which huh, was what Victor did. Um, you know, people that aren't mm. incredibly, just, like, inherently, you know, we all, we all know, like, the lawful good Oath of Light paladin that just like goes on its way and like never questions his beliefs and just like is you know that guy yeah i think it's much more interesting to have a character that like sometimes when their magic doesn't work you they wonder about their connection to their god or if they're on the right path you know aaron perfect segue into talking about the pantheon and religion and gods within the D world i think that there's like an interesting there's many different ways you could of course play uh religion and gods in campaigns they can be just figures people worship and they don't really present themselves ever they're kind of just almost like game of thrones Mm -hmm. deities oh very off in the distance yeah yeah grant power but they aren't present in any way shape or form and then there's very uh Theros, Greek or Norse gods that are just hanging They're out. Literally there. Yeah, like Thor goes on and fights with people. Like he's just hanging out with the common people and is like, "Yeah, let's mm-hmm. let's go battle. Have you seen my hammer? I'm really cool." That's that's what Thor would probably say right. in that situation. <laughs> True. So, I always find it interesting when you play a cleric and are like, "I'm going to spend the night and like pray to my god and try to talk to them and like it's rolling a religion check and i think there's just like what are the best ways to kind of like you know give the cleric what they need from that is it just a blind faith that they continue to follow or do you get like little messages like i feel as though when you were playing victor tamora would talk to you once or twice though yeah never often and what happened more for me was like because tamora also with like the whole way we built the kitsune and their belief in tomorrow it was like there were nine tails like the fox right um because you know victor was the fox person and so like i talked more through like the sages of the tales you know like that was more yes. of the thing that we did which i thought was better also because like there was a whole thing with like my ancestors and like then getting to cast spirit guardians on top of that and ha- and like summon like spit out some of the tail people to like protect me was amazing so, but I'm pulling up the player's handbook right now because I actually have been thinking about religion checks, and this is something that sort of bugged me a little bit whenever we were playing, um, whenever I was Victor, because I was not an intelligent class at all, right? No, But having not. to roll religion checks to deal with my goddess was really difficult. So, your intelligence religion check measures your ability to recall lore about deities, rites, and prayers, religious hierarchies, holy symbols, and the practices of secret cults. It's not written to be something that's, this is how you, this is your ability to interact with your god. It's more about your knowledge about religion. So that makes I almost, sense, too. I'm more of a fan of, like, you know, use your, whatever your spellcasting modifier is whenever you interact with your deity, you know, because, like, 
Victor gets his power through his wisdom and the wisdom he's gained from Tamora, right? So, like, it makes sense for him to do, like, a wisdom check instead. And whether or not he's proficient in that is up to the DM, but can give you some better numbers than, like, oh, I have a zero in intelligence, but I am proficient, so, like, here's a, you know, a plus two. I mean, that totally makes sense to me, too. When it comes to your two big religion classes, which are the paladin and the cleric, the cleric's mm-hmm. a wisdom caster, and the paladin is a charisma caster. Right. So there's no intelligence uh, as a basic uh, ability score that you want. So you're technically, if you want that like good religion check, you have to dump into a skill that you're not going to be using. That's, yeah, that you will never use. Also, like probably something that someone else in the party will already have, like Anna. Like Anna was very smart. Like Victor was never going to be that smart. It would have made no sense for Victor to have even, like, a 16 in intelligence just because, like, I needed that for other shit. Yeah, I think it is important then, if you ever need to do checks of religion, it's not coming from a place of intelligence. It's coming Mm -hmm. from a place of faith. Right. And I think those are two... And as you perfectly described with that, yeah, like, it's not like someone who's like, I've read everything about the goddess Tamora, and if you quiz me on any acts that she's done, I could get it right away. Like, that's not (laughs) everyone's religion. Right. Like, not everyone is going to act that way, religion. It's not like your faith as Victor was less because you don't remember what Tamora did in 102 B.C. Mm-hmm. Right. Stardate 55. <laughs> yeah, Stardate 55. I know. I was like, B.C., does that mean that Jesus arrived in Amira at some point? I was about to say, yeah. I, I, I wonder what the um defining factor is before they started going forward with uh, counting right, years. Right, into the common era. Oh, I'm going to have to think about that. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, what year is it in Amira? You know, I don't know if we decided. I think it was something like 1500-something. It was a conversation we had in Alaska, like, years ago. And we were like, yeah, let's just say it's this year. And we were like, okay. I do believe I was just like, you could just pick one, and it doesn't matter. This is a fantasy world. It doesn't have to mirror mirror our plane. (laughs) Oh, that hurts so much. Thank you. Something that I was interested in. uh, The majority of campaigns I've played and have done, gods are these beings that exist and they sometimes communicate either through themselves rarely or through others is mostly signs they give. Mm -hmm. But I have been really intrigued in running a campaign where the gods are very present in the world. Where they're like hanging out. So whether it is Norse, Greek, uh, Theros inspired, something along, or... uh, I guess we'll throw call time in there, right? Because yeah. there's a magic, other magic world with uh, gods that are just, like, Allrune just hangs out with the adventuring mm-hmm. party as we talk just about. Just vibing. It's like random old man missing an eye. I wonder who that is. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be. Could not be. Couldn't be. Yeah, Odin's I actually, son. I had an idea for a campaign like this where, um, spoiler alert, I mean, not really, because I don't think I'll ever play it, but the idea goes something like all of the gods... Um, achieved their power and their godly status by killing the gods that came before them, you know, like in a very like Greek way, like the people rose up and became gods themselves. And then, you know, that sort of like puts into this whole like, then once you realize that a god can be killed and that doing so gives you that god's power, then all of a sudden like there's a power struggle and the gods are a little bit cagey, you know? in a way that can be really cool to play with. Because then I think about, like, then some of the gods turned on each other, you know? Like, to accrue more power, they killed each other to gain that strength. And so we're sort of in, like, a like a nuclear arms race standstill. 
between all of the gods. I think it's very cool to have the gods reflect aspects of humanity, making them a little mortal rather than the deus ex machina that you always mm-hmm. want. Right. Where it's just like, I have the answer for everything. The, the world is saved. Like, that could get boring sometimes. I understand yes. the point of deus ex machina, not... <laughs> Deus ex machina in storytelling, but still, it, it sometimes could just come off as like, oh, of course, this like, god well, had the solution for it's it. It's a god, yeah. Problem solved. I love when gods don't have all the answers. I love, I like when gods get scared, you know? Yes. It's so funny, Aaron, that you bring that up because I've had an idea where there was this pantheon of gods and they all rose from mortality to create mm-hmm. this council. But one of the gods realized that the other attributes could fall perfectly into him, so he began to consume the oh, other gods. Very cool. So basically, like, the god of chaos realizes that all of this could be me. Mm-hmm. Like, all of your attributes can be chaos. So so chaos, yeah, decides to destroy and consume everybody else. You know, just cool ideas. Fun mm-hmm. ideas to make. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, I know those gods. I've seen them walking around before. They're, like, fighting? Oh, no. That's bad right. for us. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of, like, you have one god that, like, guards, you know, the gate to the underworld. And, like, she's always there. She's, like, hanging yeah. out. You know? Or, like, a god that's been imprisoned. Or, so, personally, and this is going to go into Theros, too, because, um, shameless plug for the world I built, but also the fact that I directly stole from Theros, because my favorite Theros god, in case you were curious, and you should not be surprised, is the blue-green aligned god Krufix, who is the god of Of horizons, um, which basically means, like, he's the god of the future and prophecies and, like, all of those sorts of, like, deep mysteries, right? How cool would it be in this world where the gods turn against each other, and they're also, like, real people that live on the earth, like, if he hides at the bottom of the ocean, you know? And, like, that's where all of, like, the deep mysteries are and, like, the party has to go down there and, like, like he knows most everything, right? Because he's sort of, he's got, like, foresight about it. Yeah. But also he, like, doesn't have the power to change anything because, like, he's just as strong as everybody else. So I think a cool way that maybe we could, like, wrap it up is in the next campaign that you do, Aaron, whether it is DM or play in, what are you mm-hmm. looking forward to in the Pantheon? That's the first question. I actually have a second question about clerics that we have to ask. Of course, always. I think what I'm most excited to do is I'm a big fan of making my own Pantheon because I really am into like domains of gods that are outside of like the norm, you know, that sort of stray away from like, and this is the god of storms, you know, like, and if they're the god of storms, then can they also be, like in Theros, not only is Keranos the god of storms, but he's also the god of inspiration, right? Because you think about, like, mm. a lightning strike as, like, a sudden, like, bolt of inspiration, you know? Yeah. That sort of, like, mental vibe. I love the idea of having gods of, like, treachery and deceit and imprisonment, you know? Like, to throw in, like, another word at the end that's, like, a little bit different so that there's both, like, a physical realm to what they do as well as, like, a sort of, like, mental realm or like a more spiritual realm you know so like you have a god of the jungle right but he's also and like of wild animals but he's also the god of like pleasure or something you know yeah he's i envision him as like a jaguar lounging in a tree like he's a little bit of both i think that's really cool and also i like that you say that because my thing as well is i i am currently building a pantheon for another campaign i'm hoping to run and i think another cool thing you could do with that without me 
No, not without you. This is one that you're probably going to be in. It's almost like you're con. Like now we have a contractual obligation that we joked about that you are in my campaigns, but it's not the same the other way around. Right, it's not the same the other way around. Yeah, that's the that's the D and G contract right mm-hmm. there. I think a cool way to give the gods something interesting is first, if you if you design like only even if it's only like six gods in your pantheon. At least, like, you have a full idea of what all of them mean and the power dynamics between them. Because I think it's important to remember that not all gods hold the same power. Yes, I was just thinking about lesser gods. Like, Zeus, compared to Persephone, for example. Uh, Yeah. Two very different... Persephone is phenomenal and has a great singing voice. (laughs) She does, yeah. I love Persephone as a character. But, like, they're not the same tier of power. They definitely have a huge gap between them. Like, Zeus is the king of gods, and Persephone changes the seasons. Like the lady of the underworld, thank you. Well, she, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but poor, still, poor yeah, Zeus is still above her in the hierarchy. Exactly. So, like, it's interesting. Maybe there's gods that aren't satisfied with where they are in power. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing a cleric in a campaign, your god's like, listen, this god is trying to overtake me smite down their followers right and then perhaps you could talk about like do followers give your god power like how does that work are you a cleric trying to spread the message of your god mm-hmm. it just makes it more real for the world and i yes, think that's a fun definitely. thing to deal with what i like about that too is if you include lesser deities and like other like you know deity like beings or demigods or something then it allows you to have something on the fly for when you realize that maybe the pantheon of six gods you made at the beginning doesn't cover all of your bases. Let's say you have a god of the sea, and you know, but you don't really have a god of voyages. You know, like which is, could be like a, a subsection of the sea, but not all voyages are of the sea, right? So you have like a different little dude you come up with on the fly that's like, well, some people, you know, really think about this lesser deity of voyages and also the sea sons and daughters of gods yeah you know? exactly also if they're anything like the greek gods they've got enough progeny running around they they are really they're really getting freaky over there mm-hmm. so or i like <laughs> to imagine too that gods spring from people's belief right so going oh. back to what you said like their strength comes from people believing in them and so like when the people have a need for a god of something then it comes into existence or even it, it's also very cool to think about like the rising if they're unsatisfied with a god it's like mm-hmm. well we don't like the god of death we want something new someone new to replace it and then like a new figure right like a new god of death you know yeah the titans versus the new gods like yeah something to challenge the order of what exists mm-hmm. so within these worlds of course aaron what's the next cleric that you're going to play within them Oh, an excellent question, because there are so many um, clerics. I think I'm going to play the Twilight Cleric from Tasha's. Oh. Yeah. Partially, I like I'm just that. such a sucker for the spell Moonbeam. It's one of my absolute <laughs> favorites. Um, I'm currently still working on a Lunar Sorcerer subclass that take, that like gets Moonbeam and does a couple of the Graviturgy wizard spells from um, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. Trying to make mm. it all work. It's... um. I'm close, but I think I might have screwed it up just a little bit. So, oh no! <laughs> but playing the Twilight Cleric lets me do all that fun stuff, and it gives me so many moon vibes. I'm so happy it gives you your druid uh, fulfillment. Thank you. <laughs> that one requires. Yeah, your favorite spell might be Guiding Bolt or Spiritual Weapon, but mine is Moonbeam. 
Yeah, mine is within the cleric spell list already, so it's like, oh, any cleric I play, I get what right. I need out of it. So for me, I have played a life cleric and a grave cleric. I played a life cleric forever. I was in love with my life cleric, and I love my grave cleric too. But I haven't gotten the chance to play the cleric that is full-out armor, full-out weapons. So I'd really like to play the forge cleric just to give me that flavor. One, because Xanathar's is so cool, and as you say, you... You read through it every day. I I feel it the same way. You got to open up your Xanathar guide. I every really day. do. I'm about to open it up again to read the Forge Cleric. After exactly. This. Yeah. <laughs> but it also it just gives you that that just different way to play the cleric, and I think that's just so important when you love a class so much and you want to keep playing it over and over again. Is making sure that it's different enough so you get a new flavor of what the cleric can do. Mm-hmm. So I want that very weapon heavy armor cleric. And then after that, I'm going to play a light cleric, you know, because I want to go full spells. Because I've sort of gone, hmm. I started with the trickery cleric, which was middle of the road. And I think there's another way that I do that where I actually do take levels of rogue just to like really buff out some of those abilities and get a little bit of sneak attack. I just want to, I want to try them all, really. I love that. Matt, actually, Matt, our last guest, uh, played a light cleric for a long time. So he knows. He knows. He knows what it's about. <laughs> well, it's time to leave the cleric behind us. Because we have we have important matters. An old friend and an old enemy of the cleric. We're moving on to the semi-final round of a spellcasting bracket. And so today we have the sorcerer against the druid. I need to look at both of these classes, and I was listening back to what we said about both of them. When it comes to utility, the druid is superior. Just hands down, in my opinion. What it could do outside of combat is incredible. When it comes to support, the druid is superior. I know that sorcerers based on subclasses can learn healing spells and other things to help party members out, but when you compare it to the druid's ability for support, there's just mm-hmm. no comparison Yeah, whatsoever. the difference is every druid learns healing spells versus one sorcerer subclass can learn healing spells. And also, I, I forget if we like to call it a combat or support thing, but a druid could take more hits as a party team member than a right. sorcerer can. You a have an option takes... to be tankier, which is a little nudge in the support column and also one in the in the combat column. Now, the only category that is up to debate for me is the combat category because sorcerers are glass cannons. They can they deal have... immense amount of yeah. damage. They have some of the biggest damage outputs. I will say, though, I was watching a YouTube channel, which if you... there are some nitty-gritty people out there that really like to crunch numbers and optimize things. Um, how have you made it this far in the podcast? No, um, there's a YouTube channel called D&D Optimized where this guy basically talks through like crunching the numbers on like what are the best ways to play everything. And he does one series of videos on sustained damage per round spells. What are the mm. best spells to give you the best bang for your buck, right? For doing consistent damage. And three of those spells are all druid spells. So he talks about Call Lightning, um, Moonbeam, ha ha ha, ironically, and Conjure Animals being three really strong concentration spells that let you just deal out a bunch of damage. Granted, if you're going for just straight burst damage, you're definitely going to want to pick the Sorcerer. In my mind, regardless of if the Sorcerer is a better combat output or if it is the Druid, the Druid is already taking it when it comes to support and utility. Right. The Druid gets the other two regardless. So I find that my vote has to go for the Druid. You know, I love the Sorcerer. I really do. I love my Storm Sorcerer Otto, even though he, you know, the Storm Sorcerer is fraught with, you know, almosts and good ideas. 
Um, I just wish they kept it like the Unearthed Arcana with the expanded spell list. Druids are just better in my in my yes. heart. In this moment, I think the druid can do more. So the reason... Also, I was talking to you about this off mic that I think what gave the sorcerer the edge over the wizard for me was that they were both pulling from basically the same spell list. So they had the same opportunities to learn things, right? Whether or not the sorcerer could learn less, right? Which it, it, it must. Um, yeah. But the fact is, like, they're working with the same material, and the sorcerer can do more to augment that. Now the druid is working with a whole separate set of things. And mm. that separate suite is really what pushes it ahead in those other two categories. So... It's got to be the druid for me too. One with nature once again. The druid. Always. The druid continues I will always to pick grow. the druid. So I say, heck yeah! First finalist. Our the first druid. Congrats to our first finalist, the druid. Well done, yes. you made it. Do you have any words you'd like to say, druid? No. All oh, right. Wow. Thank you, nature, for speaking to us in such a strong way. Then you'll just have to tune in next week to figure out who's going up in the martial side against the druid. You ready to take us out, Aaron? Believe it or not, you don't have to be a cleric or even a paladin to like and subscribe to the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast. <laughs>